Well, welcome back. This is Worldview Matters, and I'm Ross, and I welcome my co-host, Bob. Glad to be with you as always, Bob. We're going to tackle something, well, probably not benign, something that may raise the hackles of a lot of people today, but uh, let's have at it. What do you say? Well, I, I agree with you, and we're, we're going to be talking about the whole issue of, of abortion and all the all the all the legislation that's been that, that surrounds that, some of the pharmaceutical uh, issues that, that are surrounding that. But underneath all of the of the rights, either the right to for a woman to abort or defending the right of a child, under all of that, Ross, as in everything, there are worldview issues. There are things that we believe, certain uh, core values, core con- uh, concepts, convictions that people have that dictate how they approach not just this issue, which is incredibly volatile in our culture, but every issue of life. There's probably not any issue that's out there today that is any more at the core of worldview matters than this one is because it's dealing with the human life, and the Bible says that 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 life is precious to God and in the 139th chapter of Psalm, it says that God knows us when we are in our mother's womb, in the deepest, darkest recesses of our mother's womb, which means that that is a viable human being. And I guess the one of the, the, the key or the basic question is, what does God feel about that human being, regardless of how that human being came into, into being? So that's a that's a key issue. Well, and you're you're hitting at at one of the core issues of this of this show over the, since we launched it several several months ago, and that is there is a bibliocentric, a Christian theistic worldview that certainly has some things to say about this issue of abortion. But as we've talked about in the past, not everybody in our culture is a Christian theist. In fact, there are more and more people in our culture who uh, claim to be naturalists, who really don't see man as being anything special at all. And if man in general isn't anything special, we're just basically tissue, then certainly the, um, uh, the, the, the child in the womb or the fetus in the womb is not special. And so there's no rights, no moral obligation that we have to protect that fetus. And yet Scripture, Holy Scripture, says that, as you said, you quoted Psalm 139, which is one of the locus classicus passages about about when life actually begins. And it does begin not just with, uh, with when we're born, but it begins with conception. And those are the lightning rod issues that really kind of swirl around this whole issue of abortion. And we recognize that not everybody's probably going to agree with us because you and I do approach this as Christian theists, but I think also as Christian theists, there are some things that we probably need to affirm that may make some people on the other side of the aisle from us go, well, I agree with that part of what those guys say. And uh, I, I think one of the things that we need to affirm from the very beginning is that Christians can and should be for the rights of women. We should. We, we ought to be at the forefront of championing women's rights, championing uh, the, because Scripture says that men and women have equal worth in God's, God's kingdom. They're fellow heirs 
in the in the kingdom of God. So anybody who thinks that we're against the rights of women, I'd like to up front say that's not true. And if yeah, we're we're not against the rights of women, but you know we're the core issue. I I think one part where people say, well, I, I disagree with abortion, but what about rape and incest? Now, if we took rape and incest off the table for the core of this discussion, we're talking about, in, in that case, less than one-half of one percent of aborted children come into that category. So let's say let's talk about the 99.5 percent. What about that, that percentage? Do we say that except for rape and incest— we deal with abortion in one way. Then let's have a separate discussion about the rape and incest. because, And then let's look at the overarching thing. If God exists, if we are created in his image, then God had, there is a truth about what should be done about abortion. And we can have polls and have social discussions and what have you. But they ought to center on what is God's mind on this issue of abortion. And I'm not saying, obviously, even Christians and and other theists or non-theists can come to a conclusion of their own, differing conclusions, and say, this is what I believe to be the case. And we can have that open discussion. But... We may not be able to know the mind of God this side of heaven, but God does have a mind about that issue. He has a mind about abortion in general. He has a mind about rape and incest because he does see that that child that comes from rape and incest as a human being. That's difficult for us to get our arms around because many times, especially in, in an area of incest, you have uh, genetic mutations may, that may come out of that uh, Rape is uh, is another matter, obviously, and we we talked to our producer before we went on the air here, and the discussion on college campuses is around what are the rights of the father, what are the rights of the mother, and this gets gets into the rights of women that we're talking about. But at the core, somebody has to stand up for that unborn child. So who's what would that child vote if they had a chance to vote as to whether they should be aborted or not? Well, I think you're really hitting at a key issue, and that is that um, throughout throughout Scripture, God is always for the rights of the weak. He's he is he is a God of justice, and uh, there's no more uh, there's no more person at risk and who's in need of justice probably in our culture today than the unborn, because they can't defend themselves. They can't even speak out for their rights. So other people have got to speak out for them. And, you know, it's interesting to me that um, with the decision of, of Roe v. Wade back in 1973, basically the Supreme Court ruled that, that, uh, that unborn children are not human beings. Uh, up until the point that th- the pregnancy can be viable, where the child can live outside the womb, that 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 unborn child, fetus, whatever you want to call it, uh, I, I prefer the term unborn child because I, I have good reasons to think that from the moment of conception, that is a person. It has all the, def- the defining 
factors of, of what constitutes life. But they basically came to the place where they said uh, an unborn child uh, up until the third trimester, until the child can exist outside the womb, is not a person. And um, it, it's interesting that there have been other times in the past when our Supreme Court said that certain persons weren't persons. Uh, you know, there was a classic case uh, when uh, right before the Civil War when, uh, you know, the African slaves were basically purported to not to not be human, to not to not have to not be persons. Of course, now that we recognize that was a, a terrible judgment uh, on the part of, of our Supreme Court. And, and they they reversed that in the case of Dred Scott in 1857. Uh, now, you know, any any thinking person would go, what were they thinking when they when they said that Dred Scott was not a person with rights? but just property. And you hear that same language, you know, going on to talk about the rights of the unborn. But, uh, you know, yes, there are exceptions of rape, incest, the, you know, the, the quality of life of the child. Those things are important things, and they do. We have to think about those things when we consider this issue. But as you say, those are the minority, uh, the minority issues, the minority cases, not the majority cases. Yeah, it's it's very difficult for us to. I, th- I think that most people will come down with one particular on one particular side of this worldview, either pro-abortion or pro-life, and it, it's I've seen very few people, as in most tough cases like this, who are willing to discuss and. Look at other the other viewpoint. We want to do that. We do come at it obviously with a very strong worldview position, which is the Christian theistic worldview. And so, it is kind of a, it's kind of difficult to look at those others now. And I think that if we could put ourselves in that position, what kind of decision would we make? That possibly opens up. Uh, an understanding or a willingness to look at the other side. You know, I know, Bob, we we can talk about something very personal here. You have a very viable, vibrant young daughter who many people might have, had they had the opportunity, aborted before that birth occurred. But your life is, and her life, both, and your your whole family is much more vibrant because of her being in that family. Well, I appreciate you mentioning my daughter Elena, who is a child who's no longer a child. She's a, a young woman now with Down syndrome. And you're you're right. We uh we we were given counsel before her birth that um, their abortion was an option for us because of the the changes in the legal system since Roe v. Wade. And after considering it, well, we didn't have to consider it for me and my wife. That was never an option for us because of our our worldview. And we elected to have Elena. And it was one of the best decisions we've ever made in our life. That's not to say that there haven't been some real difficulties and challenges. Ross, you were there with us uh, in countless hospital visits 
when Elena had to have open-heart surgery where she struggled through three years of megakaryoblastic leukemia and chemotherapy where she had interactive airway disease, where she had all kinds of things that often threatened her life. And yet now she's almost 28 years old. She's employed. She's still living at home with me and my wife. And yet she is one of the high points of my day. You know, I remember very distinctly with you and I having our arms around each other's shoulders, both of us crying, looking through that window and you saying, this is going to be a very different life that we're going to have because of Elena. But this is what God has for us and has for her at that time. And your witness to countless thousands of people because of the way that you have treated and nurtured her and she has caused growth in you and and many others as many others have come through your home and stayed and seen that interaction seen a christian family deal with all these issues and uh, god has a special place for elena and you uh, i didn't i think when we started this discussion today, I didn't intend, and I'm sure you didn't intend, that our conversation would go where it has in the last five minutes, but I felt like that it was very important for listeners to understand that this is not something that you are detached from. This is, it's not, it's not a benign discussion. This is something that you have lived and are living day after day. Well, and I appreciate you for bringing it up because it, it does color this issue and it, it certainly has colored and defined our lives. And, and I, I can just say for the public record, Elena has not been a difficult child to love. She's been an incredibly easy child to love. That's not to say that there haven't been difficult issues surrounding her life. There have been. And, and, and that's, uh, there's, there will be in the future, but it goes back to worldview, Ross. It's like everything else we're talking about. Uh, a, a, a well-shaped worldview certainly produces or should produce. Actually, it does produce certain core convictions. And coming from a bibliocentric, Christian, theistic worldview, I knew that the minute that Elena was conceived, she was alive. She was a person. Uh, was she you know, does she have the intellectual capacity of a of a Nobel Prize winner? Certainly not. But does she have emotions and feelings and rights and and uh, and an intellect that can that can interact with people in her world? Absolutely. But even beyond all of that, she's a person made in the image of God, and that's what the Christian worldview holes about this issue. In fact, there are several things that are bibliocentric values or bibliocentric core concepts that relate to this issue of abortion. One I've already mentioned is that the Bible teaches that human life is different from all other types of life because human beings are made in the image of God. Genesis, you know, 127 says that. Uh, the Bible teaches that children are a blessing from the Lord, and uh, and that then that and that life begins for a child in the womb. You you mentioned that passage in Psalm one thirty nine. Scripture commands 
or condemns that we not kill the innocent. It just, it can, it, it, God commands, thou shalt not kill. And it's talking about killing innocent people, killing people who don't deserve to die. The, the Bible teaches that God is a God of justice, and we need to look out for the helpless, as we've already talked about. The unborn child is the, one of the most helpless uh, beings on the planet. Um, Jesus Christ himself was always going out of his way to pay attention to the poor, to the despised, to the, those who the rest of society considered insignificant, including the women of his day. Women had no rights in his day, but Jesus Christ gave them rights, and uh, we should look out for the rights of those who are disenfranchised. Scripture teaches us to love one another, and that extends to people even that we haven't met yet, those who are still in the womb. And, of course, Scripture also teaches that life is to be chosen always over death. Death is seen as an enemy. So those are core values, core concepts that are part of a bibliocentric, Christocentric, theistic worldview. But admittedly, not everyone in our culture has that worldview. You and I do. And so we're going to look at this issue different maybe than a lot of the culture does. Well, let's look at two or three questions. Number one, I think we need to, or one needs to determine, is this a, is it a child? Now, I don't even know whether the word viable should come into play or not, but it, it probably does. At conception, is it a child? If you do not believe it's a child at conception, at what point do you think it becomes a child? Is it when it's viable to live outside the womb? Is it in the second trimester, third trimester, right before birth? Can you do something after birth? And I think we've just seen in that doctor's conviction up north that the courts have decided that, or not the courts, but uh, it was decided in in a lawsuit that uh, this these children were viable and they were murdered outside the womb. Now that's pretty clear. And what about two minutes before or two minutes after? Is there a difference? Is there a difference in the third trimester? Is there a difference before it's perceived to that that child could be viable? And that probably is at about what six months, maybe six and a half, seven months, possibly. Uh, or is it at conception? So, is this a child whose rights are at stake? Well, you know, it's interesting. In the, in the biological textbook, which is used in a lot of our public schools and universities, the title of it is called The Basics of Biology. It's kind of a standard text. But in, in, in that biology book, there are five characteristics of living things. And th- these, are, these are characteristics that are being used by NASA right now to determine if there might be life on other planets. So there are five things that characterize life as we understand it. The first is living things are highly organized. There's, there's a system in place. The second is living, all living things have an ability to acquire materials and energy. They're able to, to draw into themselves the components that make life continue to happen. The third thing is all living things have an ability to respond to their environments. Even if it's the, the, uh, the organisms on the, on the vents at the, at, the, at the 
you know, in the deep parts of our seafloor. They're living because they can respond to their environment. All living things, number four, have an ability to reproduce. They may not be able to reproduce at some certain point, but they have the ability. There's an innate ability to reproduce themselves. And thirdly, all living things have an ability to adapt. They can respond to their surroundings and they can change and grow. Oddly enough, the theory of evolution pick some of these very things up. And I would argue that based on these five definitions, these five characteristics of living things, that human life begins at fertilization. It begins once the sperm enters the egg. That's when life begins. I realize, boy, I sound like a troglodyte to a lot of people when I say this, but I'm just I'm speaking as a worldview proponent. If we're going to look at biological life over here on the left-hand side, we have to apply that same teaching over here to the right-hand side. And that's those inconsistencies really frustrate me. When I see naturalists saying, this constitutes life, left-hand side, basics of biology, but we can apply those same characteristics to the human life. And I want to go, that's inconsistent. That's not fair. We can get up in arms about that. I just did, I think. <laughs> well, I think that answers the first question, which is, is this a child? So if we come to that conclusion, then we the next point is, whose rights are at stake here? And are the, is it the rights of the child, the rights of the mother, the rights of the father? Uh, the the second circle around that, which would be family and what have you, but we talk almost totally about the rights of the mother. That's where it is. Oh, this is a mother's right issue. Okay, and we're gonna if we take rape and incest off the table, we're talking about this ninety nine point five percent. Should we focus on only the mother? And, and the mother has the right to take care of her own body. She has the rights over, over her own body. Then the issue, as we talked with JP earlier about, the fa- who, who's voting for the father? And you mentioned a case down in Florida where that is a very important issue uh, over the death of a child. You may want to mention that, and then we'll, um, we may get into that in, in the next show, but go ahead and let's set the stage for that by talking about that case that we discussed before going on the air. Well, this is by, uh, the, the reporter was David Knowles of the New York Daily News, and on Thursday, May 16th of this year, he reported that Remy Lee, 26, a, a young lady, was uh, in a relationship with a young man named John L. Andrew Weldon, and they they were she got pregnant and um that she wanted to have the baby i'm quoting here uh, lee was ecstatic about becoming a mother but weldon who was working on a degree in sports medicine wanted her to terminate the pregnancy quote i was never going to do anything but go full term with it and he didn't want me to what actually happened was that according to you know this report Weldon, uh, basically, who is the son of an obstetrician in Lutz, Florida, was able to get his hands on cytotech pills, which is the abortion pill, and convinced her that she was taking some antibiotics to help her uh, fight off an infection. And of course, uh, 
they weren't antibiotics. They were they were abortion drugs. And a few days later, the child died. And now he's being he's on trial for first degree murder, even though she was in the second trimester. Uh, in in many cases, could have aborted the child uh, because uh, she didn't want to abort the child, and he did. He murdered this uh, this this baby, and so this is a this is a wow. This is a a lightning rod case because it brings into play you know the rights of a child in the womb, the rights of the mother, the rights of the father, and now we're hearing more in our culture today about it's not just the rights of the mother that we should be concerned about. What if the father doesn't want the baby? Doesn't this guy have a right? as the father, to make a decision, he assumed that he did. It's bringing in a lot of issues. And once, if you have those two people, the father and the mother, at odds about what should happen with the pregnancy, uh, then, you know, the baby's standing over there saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, raising their hand, say, what about me? Do I get a vote in this matter? Right. That's right. where we, we always have to come back to that issue. And, and if if God does take care of widows and orphans and the indefensible, the ones who can't defend themselves, this is probably a, a case where God says, I've got a vote here, and I really have the Trump vote. The question is, are you going to listen? Well, and this gets back to what you and I have been talking about since the inception of this show, Ross. It's that sometimes worldviews are in collision with one another. Uh, we live in a culture today where people, basically, many people are saying, hey, look, you can believe anything you want to believe as long as you're sincere about it. Uh, in other words, as long as you really believe it, you have a right to hold on to that. But here's the situation where worldviews actually collide with each other and people who say uh, you can believe any way you want to are fighting mad when they say, unless you disagree with me about this issue. Uh, and and that's, that's what we want our listeners to understand. Uh, this, this abortion issue is obviously a volatile issue. And I know we're probably going to get some letters and calls about this, and hopefully so. But yes, right. back in the fall, we talked about almost every, every American, every American, every, every civilized person in the world, with the exception of people who happen to hold to an Islamic jihadist worldview, thought that the bombing of the World Trade Centers was an atrocious act of terrorism and cowardice. And I would say, on what grounds? Why? Those people sincerely believe, those terrorists believe they were doing a good thing. They were doing an obligatory thing. They were fighting for their religion and for their worldview. And so by killing themselves and all the people with them, unfortunately, both in the buildings and on the planes, not only should they not be condemned, they should be lionized. In fact, they were lionized by many people in the Middle East and by, you know, Muslims around the world. Not did all of them. Did you say lionized or thrown to the lions? <laughs> Well, you know, hey, this this is a good place to stop. It's a good place to stop. It's a good place to start our next show because this is where w the worldviews clash. The question is when they clash, what trumps? That's a key question. Let's pose that question as the beginning of our 
next show. As always, great being with you. And I would suggest and highly recommend that any of our listeners go to Big Brains Media, listen to the other shows. Just Talking It Up is another one. I happen to be on that show also. And there have been a couple of very, very interesting interviews. For those who've seen the movie 42 with Jackie Robinson, we had two interviews with Carl Erskine, who was a pitcher during that period and pitched with Jackie Robinson for nine years. Uh, matter of fact, all except the first year that Robinson played for the Dodgers. Very interesting interviews. We just interviewed Randy Hicks of Georgia Center for Opportunity on some other issues relative to uh, welfare and cost of welfare and the viability of welfare. Uh, Bama Talk, Auburn Unleashed, uh, we're, uh, uh, Weather Brains. There are a number of other shows that are, are very, very interesting. We highly recommend you go. Thanks to our producer, JP, and to James Spann, who gives us this opportunity to do this. Bob, look forward to being with you again next week. Okay, Ross, you too. <laughs> <laughs>